Hello, welcome to another strange episode of Saved by the 90s. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. Hello. This month on the show, we're going to be doing part two of our Eerie Indiana retrospective. So I think with that, we can just go straight in. Like, no, I don't yeah. think we need a preamble here. If you listen to last month's episode, we go through episodes one through ten of the amazing show, Eerie Indiana. This month, we're going to be capping it off, going through episodes 11 through 19. And then we're also going to be touching on the sequel series, which we didn't watch all of that. uh, But we both watched the first episode, at least. So we'll be able to touch on that and then maybe give our closing thoughts with the series as a whole. So, so. We're going to start things off with Who's Who. This is uh, directed by Tim Hunter. Now, this one is... Uh, we've seen... A, there's been stories like this before, but essentially, Simon and Marshall f- uh, meet up with this girl who is a very gifted, talented artist, and it turns out that anything she draws and then signs her name on, it like becomes real. So... Mm. Not entirely a new idea, but I think it's still something that can be there. There can be interesting things to be had with that idea. The kind of kind of um, what I believe to be like a, a staple of the show. They're dealing with topics that that more serious adult topics that that kids are often forced to. Uh, be confronted with so in this case the 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 girl her name's sarah bob by the way the name is relevant yes sarah bob she is the only girl in this family of men and their mom left them i guess and uh the the father appears to be a drunk and the kids are just out of control and she's forced to be a sister and a mother and really take care of the dad too because let's be honest he seems to be completely useless so yeah it's it's kind of you know it's dealing with kind of more serious topics like a lot of the other episodes but done in a more kind of comedic light way that I think is easy for younger kids to digest. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, a lot of kids in this, a similar situation would, would find a lot to relate to here. And mm-hmm. I like this episode overall. I think this was yeah. a good episode. Yeah. I, I think there, I think the more that I've been watching through this, since it's my first time watching it, I think there are different ways that each episode kind of, approaches the same basic concept like there are some episodes which mm, focus on the town specifically uh and that and are kind of about examining the town and this community through the perspective of introducing supernatural elements to it and we'll get to those but there's also episodes that are just very much character driven in a more direct way and this is one of them and i think Taken as a whole, it it sort of these episodes I think sort of allow, as you say, the episode to an episode to uh, discuss subject matter more than maybe overall theme or vibe. And I think I think the show kind of has a good balance between. Them. And I don't even think that was a cognizant decision with the show to sort of balance it out this way. But it is something that I did notice as I was going through them. Yeah, it's not like. It's not like there's uh, each episode is like dealing with this like serious these serious undertones. It's it's not yeah. really like that. I mean, there, a lot of the episodes no, there's no hard formula to it. Right. A lot of the episodes are m- much more lighthearted and I mean, while I think a lot of them have subtext, I think that there are some episodes that are just fun and and don't necessarily ask to be read into too deeply. But then they then there are certain episodes that like this one that I think you can look at and and see that there is something deeper happening here, and you know where it goes is is fine. I think that this is 
and we talked about this before last episode about how I feel like the time constraints of this show, like cramming everything into, you know, what is essentially like 20 minutes is, I think it's difficult to, to do. And I think that they handle it pretty well overall, but I think a lot of episodes just feel like they need to be, or they could be a little bit fleshed out more. Yes. And I think that this is an example of that. Yeah. Something that I feel like is, uh, happened to me a lot going through this uh maybe to a greater extent than with the first 10 episodes is just watching them all in a few day time span uh they're sort of running together to me for me some of them there i mean there are some that stand out and there is once again as i said last month i have still yet to well now having seen the whole thing there's not a bad episode of the show but a lot of the ones that are just kind of fine become somewhat indistinguishable with the other ones that are just kind of fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, that's, like, I, I, think I, that's, I think that's a good sentiment. I'm not going to have too much to say about the one about the eerie wolf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me neither, really. So, Sarah Bob is played by Chanel Gray in this, and I, I do recognize her. I don't remember this episode at all, by the way. I'm like, maybe I saw it when I was a kid, but... This one I have no recollection of, and um, this this actress was, she had a pretty large role in The Bold and the Beautiful and One Life to Live, so she was a big soap opera star, but she's also the older sister of, um, what's her name, Ariel Winter from Modern Family, Mm. and there was like, I, I ended up like digging into this and there was like all this family drama where like at one mm. point she got custody of Ariel Winter because like her her uh her mom was was being abusive and oh. there was like all kinds of like court battles with her and stuff. Oh, I, I I did I did notice that uh, Chanel Gray also is she's a a producer. She produced a whole ton of of things and i think that that's because she actually owns or runs a an acting school in la and it, and it looks mm. like a lot of the stuff that maybe her students made she has a producer credit on mm. and she does a lot of voice work too for like video games and mm. and um uh, stuff like that so mm. she's she's got a pretty good she's got a pretty good career yeah, I, I just went on her IMDb page that she has 163 producer credits and like a lot of short films, it looks like. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that most of those are from uh, her her school that she has. Uh. It's like Chanel, uh, Chanel Gray. I can't remember the name of the, the school, but it looks like it's still in operation. So, good for her. Yeah. So... That's who's who. Uh, pretty pretty decent episode. I feel like it it could have used a little bit more. Uh, and, and again, I think that was just the time limitations. But it was it was a cool it was a cool concept. They they added some CG in in this one where, like, when you tear the the art apart, it kind of like tears the uh, whatever it is that you're that you're destroying. I, I'm always I'm always here for early nineties TV <laughs> yeah. CG. It, fe- it felt very uh if you've seen the show Alex Mack, that's that's what it felt like. The the CG looks very Alex Mack esque. Uh, the other the other thing with this one is like the in addition to her being able to like draw things and that become real, like the whole thing here is that she doesn't have a mom. She's desperate to rekindle that relationship with her mom or just to have a, you know, a, a female figure in her life. And so she ends up drawing Marshall's mom and like stealing his mom, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me um, because like she did it with her family too. So she turned her family into like the family that she wanted but then she trapped her real family in a fishbowl, which, by the way, how are they not dead? Because they were in a fishbowl underwater. Well, they're presumably not dead in the drawings, so. 
Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. But at any rate, her family... So when she draws her family, it gets replaced with a new version. But when she draws Marshall's mom, it like literally teleports Marshall's mom to her house. So why did it not just create a copy of Marshall's mom? The logic isn't there. Because it, this is a 23-minute episode and we, they needed to <laughs> get, get to the... The, the high stakes there. I guess, yeah, I guess they needed a reason to get Marshall back over there to try to undo what she did. I feel like she could also have just done, because the, the, the show, the episode ends with her drawing herself and her mom in Paris. And I feel like she probably could have just done that from the beginning. And, you know, everything would have been good. Although well, it would have been it interesting some time to, to, to get to what you should have been doing the whole time. It, it would have been interesting because the whole thing was like, she didn't remember what her mom looked like. So she couldn't like draw her mom. But then in the, in the Paris drawing, it was like her mom had her back to her, but it would be weird. And, and maybe interesting to see if when she got teleported, her mom just didn't have a face. It was just a blank face. It's the concept that matters. It's not the, yeah. it's the concept of, of, of a supportive character. So that's Who's Who. Next up, we have episode 12, Marshall's Theory of Believability. Um, this one, this one's directed by Bob Balaban. Um, this one was okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really have much to say about this one. That, that makes two of us. So this one is about this this professor, this like traveling professor guy who has like oddities. It's sort of like Ripley's Believe It or Not kind of kind of vibe. Uh, he he ends up in Erie and he has like these like crazy things that he shows and and Simon and Marshall look up to this guy and he announces that there's going to be uh, an, a UFO that's that's going to land in Erie within the next 24 hours. So Marshall and Simon are super excited. They end up finding the object and then it causes this whole like thing where people are trying to, to buy the object, but then he, they find out that like Zircon is, is sort of a charlatan, but in actuality, like the, the fake UFO landing was not, the one that they found, they actually found yeah. the real object. The only thing that I can really say about this one is that I thought the cinematography was interesting. It, mm. it utilized a lot of really like kind of weird camera angles. And there were a lot of things like obstructing the view. So there were a lot of kind of random things in the foreground and they used a lot of like POV shots in this one too. So there were a lot of scenes where characters were like talking directly to the screen, which I thought was kind of different. Hmm. But other than that, this was sort of an average episode. I think I, th there, there's nothing really too memorable about this one. And like, for me, I think that this was probably one of the weaker ones of the, the batch that we saw this month. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think uh, we can uh, just... Uh, yeah, unlike the next one we're talking about, there are zero tornadoes in it. Yeah. So the next one's called Tornado Days. The premise of this one is that every year in Erie, they do this, like, Tornado Day celebration, and every year on the same day, a tornado comes through the town, mm -hmm. which they don't seem to be, like... They're just... They just... Most of them think it's just a normal thing. Like, oh, yeah, that's just... Just the, the old tornado was the name old Bob or something. Yep, torn uh, Bob. The tornado is named Bob, and that's just uh, yeah, that's just how. Well, it, by how, the standards it of the town, I think it's pretty plausible. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> you so, get used to it. What'd you think of this one? I liked it. <laughs> I like this one too. It's pretty it goofy. Is, yes, you you yes, you have is. um. I can't remember his name, the guy from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. In He plays a meteorologist who 
Matt Frewer. Yeah. He's a meteorologist who creates this machine, this like capsule that allows him to travel with the tornado. So he gets sucked up into the tornado and just travels with it in order to study it. And he was also, he's also Max Headroom. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's Max Headroom. Yep. But yeah, I thought that this one was kind of fun. Yeah. This is another pretty light episode, I think. Uh, this one- yeah, uh, yeah, it 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 fits with uh the ta- uh an episode's about the town as community to be explored. This is this one's directed by Ken Quapis, who did a lot of TV work. He yes. he directed a, a metric ton of TV stuff, mm-hmm. including Malcolm in the Middle, Bernie Mac Show, Grounded for Life. Uh, Larry Sanders show, The Office. Did I say The Office? I think I already said that. Yeah, I and I know you didn't. It's an it's an interesting set of directors on the show, which you, I keep thinking about, if for no other reason than because one of them was, as I mentioned last month, Sam Pillsbury, the the uh, winemaker who uh, <laughs> gave that interview in all caps. <laughs> which they which they put in verbatim, which I liked. I like, I like that, that a lot. That. I like that a lot. Uh, next up, we have Hole in the Head Gang. So this this is a pretty big episode. This is a pivotal one. Yeah this 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 episode marks a shift in in the whole show, really. So mm-hmm. we we see the introduction of Dash X, which is a mm-hmm. recurring character that they added in in this in this episode, played by Jason Marsden. Who you probably have seen this dude in many things back during this time. He's been in a ton of stuff, and he's he's another pretty big voice actor. He he still does a lot of voice acting work. So I'm sure that that he's the the type of character actor that as soon as you see him, you're like, oh yeah, that that kid. Um, so this episode is it's about Marshall and Simon investigating this haunted house this this mill and they end up finding this this uh this this kid dash x who who isn't named until like i don't know three or three or four more episodes but mm. he's this kind of gruff voiced gray-haired kid who has these plus and minus marks on his on his hands and he has no memory of like who he is, where he came from, any of that. He just kind of appeared in the town, and from this point on, he shows up in every episode. He's he's just a he's mm-hmm. a character that shows up and plays a pretty big role in every episode moving forward. This was when NBC wanted to shift the tone of the show and make it a bit more adult. So they introduced the kid with gray hair (laughs) (laughs) a little bit on the nose nbc (laughs) brilliant work yeah another weird side note that was on this episode because this wasn't even like a a central plot point on the episode but they wrote out the original guy who ran the world of stuff and Mm -hmm. um they replaced him with john astin and the way that they wrote him out was that he, it was a guy who was like an imposter. He, he, <laughs> he was like a con man and he kidnapped the original owner, Radford, and kept him locked up in the basement. And then he took over as the owner of the world of stuff. And that's perfectly normal, eerie Indiana. Yeah. Stuff. And, the, and that's how they wrote <laughs> that guy out of the show. And replaced him with John Aston. Now he does what come it's, back. Yeah, he does come back later easy to write people out of the show. I know you just throw <laughs> him in a straitjack and be like, "Yeah, that guy yeah. was a, a crazy imposter," and mm. that's that. So yeah, this episode, big episode, probably one of the one of the biggest episodes as far as like pushing forward the the lore of Erie, Indiana. The episode itself was not great, I didn't think. Like, as far as the main, like, monster of the week s- story 
what you have here is a ghost cowboy where he mm. wanted to rob the Erie bank, but then I guess he died or got killed before he was able to do so. Or he like, or no, he, um, he wanted, he went to rob the bank, but he forgot his gun and they, and then they killed him or something. And th- they helped the ghost quote unquote, rob the bank by taking a toaster mm-hmm. from, from there. And that's, that's sort of the, the weekly story. The, the town's just going crazy for these toasts. <laughs> it's so weird, man. <laughs> I love, I loved that scene in the bank though, yeah. because there was so much going on in that scene. There was like, yes. a, there was a, a one part where it was like, a fisherman that was like depositing his rod or something. And then there's another part where a nun just takes out a million and a half dollars in cash <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> I, I, that, that scene was great. And then of course it, it, it turns out that the, um, the bank teller is actually the, the, the imposter guy who was the, uh, the, the fake owner of the world of stuff. It's interesting though, like I, I guess the the pulling in John Aston was like part of the network's idea of like a like a mid season shakeup where they wanted to like pull in another colorful character. And I think that John Aston fits that role like perfectly. I mean, that's definitely the kind of role that he played. Mm. And he's in, I think, every episode moving forward too. The thing is, though, like, I didn't feel like he added a whole lot to the series overall. Mm. But, eh, it's, it's whatever. So, yeah, uh, big episode. Then we move on to um, Mr. Cheney. This one was directed by, oh, by the way, Hole in the Head Gang was directed by Joe Dante. Mm. Mr. Cheney is directed by Mark Goldblatt. And uh, this one is the is the werewolf one. Uh, not a whole lot to say about. about yeah, I kind this of already one. tipped my hand on this one. Yeah. So I guess every what is it like every I don't know how many years, ten years or something, they do this like harvest festival, and they they announce a harvest king. And the Harvest King has to go out in the woods and attempt to find, like, the Harvest, I don't know, the Eerie Wolf or the Harvest Wolf or something like that. Turns out it's a, it's a werewolf, and they, they basically sacrifice. They, they, they mm-hmm. sacrifice a person, like, every ten years or something to a, a wolf, a werewolf. Which I think is, like, a, something that they don't really hammer in enough. Or they, don't, they don't really put enough emphasis on the fact that the town is collectively not, not collectively, but the more powerful leadership in the town is knowingly sacrificing a child. I think they try and use that uh, point to make a not terribly artful comment on a, on political corruption. Yeah. So Steven Root is in this and he plays this guy who we haven't even seen up until this point. And all of a sudden he seems like a big person in the town and he's the werewolf. And through dash X being himself, Marshall ends up becoming the, uh, the harvest King. And there's this like ceremony that I just couldn't help but think that, uh, Ari Aster totally bit off that scene. In midsummer, <laughs> the, with the flowers and the crown, like how they they like they put all these flower wreaths on Marshall, and he's like buried in flowers, and then he has that like flower crown. I'm just like, oh, oh okay, I see. I, you know, everybody says like the Wicker Man and stuff. I'm like, nah, nah. It was Erie, Indiana. It was it was Wait. this episode of Erie, Indiana. So so you know how in 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 songwriting now if. The if a songwriter or a songwriter's estate says that like one lot a one part of one song was lifted from another song they can sue and get songwriter credit and royalties for it. Yeah. What if that was how screenwriting worked? <laughs> <laughs> and they just and and they just have to and now from now on, 
Midsummer has to have a co-writer credit from this episode of Erie, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> Jose Rivera is now a co-writer of Midsummer. <laughs> He's so funny. Yeah. Like this episode's not it's really not bad. It's just nothing it's it's just nothing tremendous. The werewolf effects are very pedestrian at best mm-hmm. i mean the, the, it's like a mask it's like a it's like a wolf mask that you would get at, at, at like spirit halloween pretty much it has a little bit of movement in the nose and mouth but for the most part it just looks like a mask and where it goes is just not very interesting either so like marshall ends up getting scratched by the the werewolf and he has a thing where like because it was only a little scratch he Every full moon now, he just grows sideburns hmm. instead of turning into a full-on werewolf. And of course, uh, John Aston's character is like a becomes like a werewolf hunter in this and helps them. It's it, it's it's fine. It's yeah, nothing nothing like, amazing. Like, like I said, what it builds up to is like a that conversation between them and uh, the mayor about how oh yeah you know yeah so in addition to so the sacrifice in addition to causing a good harvest lowers taxes yes don't ask me how but yeah it lowers taxes so you feed a kid Mm -hmm. to a werewolf the town's taxes become lower i don't know how it works but yeah. they didn't, and the, and they didn't explain it. Conversation with the mayor. It's like, you don't tell people. People don't ask, you don't say anything. Yeah. And it's like, that's Erie, Indiana talks about uh, small town endemic corruption. Yeah. And next up, we have No Brain, No Pain. This one is, it's a brain swap. This- it's a brain swap this, story. This is quietly maybe the second most chaotic episode of the show we're going to talk about. This one, you you ha- it's a it's a classic brain swap scenario where you have this it, Simon and Marshall and Dash X they they stumble upon this this homeless man who seems very mentally ill, and then they find out that. It, it, he was actually like the smartest man in the world, and he had this machine that could like transfer consciousness, and it, he accidentally transferred his consciousness to an eight-track tape of the knack, and uh. Through a series of events, Simon ends up getting the guy's brain, and then through another series of more events, everybody's brains get scrambled at one point. Mm-hmm. And the guy, the guy's, it turns out that the guy's wife was like evil, and she wanted to like sell the technology to the military or something. He wanted to use but- it for, use it for good. Sorry, go ahead. You can also you can also tell that they're trying to expand the audience of of, of the show by having what ca- I can only describe as a shocking number of jokes about 1980s yeah. political scandals. This one, this is so this is where the show starts to get a bit political, and yes. it's it's very interesting because they they make a George Bush joke first of all, mm-hmm. which because he because when he when the scientist guy comes back, he's like. Who who's the president? And Marshall's like, oh, it's it's George Bush, and vice president is Dan Quayle. And he's like, <laughs> I can't remember what he's his line was, but he's like, oh, it's so much worse than I thought. Mm. Um, and then they make another. So it turns out yeah. what what the woman, what his wife wanted to do was she wanted to sell the technology to steal the 1980 election <laughs> by putting. MacGyver's brain into Ronald Reagan, which would then quadruple his IQ. <laughs> so I, I believe they also get an Edwin Meese reference in there too. <laughs> so yeah, this episode is is certainly one of the more bonkers ones. 
face value for this, it's it's fine. It's another episode that's just fine. But it's just those one-liners. It's those little one-off jokes that clearly kids will it will just go straight over their heads. But it's like the it's like NBC was slowly trying to get older audiences, I guess, to to find this to to be interested in this or something. But yeah, it's. And it's not you're telling you're telling me you didn't like the Edwin Meese joke as a kid, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, and and this one, it's the beginning of the political jokes, but it's not the end. Like, no, no. Like, I feel, I feel like this. It's almost as if this show kind of wears its political affiliations on its sleeve a little bit. It, it's a show that was trying to reinvent itself in its last three episodes. <laughs> yeah, which is uh. It's a choice. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, but yeah, it's um, it's a it's an okay episode. I, I I liked I liked this episode. Honestly, I didn't mind the inclusion of the Dash X character. Like, I thought it was fine. He annoyed me. Like the voice, the the kind of like gruff voice that he would do, like that kind of bothered me. But the mm. character. I thought it was actually a good character. Like he's a pretty complex character for this type of show. And mm. I liked, you know, how he was not immediately, he wasn't immediately like one of the protagonists. He's you now he's a little, he's kind of in the middle. Like he, mm. he kind of plays both sides sometimes. And yeah, I like, I like, that character. I think it was it was a good inclusion overall. I could have used probably another if they if they made him a girl, I probably would have preferred that. I think that this show lacks a certain representation. Yeah. Of, now, to be clear, like I I think that this mo- this show was pretty good for its time, like as far mm. as being um like not skewing on gender no. per se, especially no. the like the the mom character would always kind of um, poke fun at at the more kind of misogynist um, the the patriarchal system that that is mm-hmm. in place in Erie, and I think that she even mentions it in the next episode that we're going to talk about. Yeah, so I think that yeah. I think so I think it was good, but I also think that there's a serious lack of diversity in this show. Like anyone of color in this show is pretty much uh, an extra. Like you see there are people of color, but they're all in, in the background for the most Mm. part. So, I mean, I guess that's just sort of a a product of its time, Mm. but I don't know. It's, it's weird seeing just such a, a sea of white in a, in a show like this. Yeah, yeah, I just is, think on a on a direct level, I I, I don't think a show uh, being made now. No, yeah, no. definitely wouldn't. And one could argue, like towns like this probably yeah. didn't have a lot of people of color, and and I think that yeah. that's that, that's an excuse that a lot of these kind of you know casually racist people <laughs> like they'll they'll say <laughs> something like that where it's like, well, towns like this didn't have black people in them. <laughs> But it's like that—that that might be true. I mean, I grew up in a town where it was like pretty—it was like ninety-five percent white people. But it's like, let's. This is Erie, Indiana. You know, it's a fictional. You can. Yeah, it's fiction. It's a fiction. You can literally fiction. do whatever you want. Exactly. So let's. Uh, yeah, I I did like it up you, a bit you tried here. To, I was about to say you, you're going to get an email with that exact. Oh yeah, with that exact thing in it. <laughs> yeah, with that exact complaint in it. Yep. So let's let's move on to the next episode, Loyal Order of Corn. So this is one that in Erie, there's like this um, this secret society of men. It's like a moose lodge or an elk lodge, or one of those other lodges. But this one's it's way more goofy because it's corn related, which is which I think yes. is funny. So Marshall's dad joins this this order, this this lodge, and. Right off the bat, Marshall see like sees that there's something weird going on with this place, and of course Dash X is involved. He actually got a job at the lodge as like a 
I don't know, a bar back or some something something like that. I don't know if it'd be legal. I mean, he's working behind the bar, but I don't know if it'd be legal to have a uh like a 14-year-old kid serving drinks or <laughs> whatever he was doing. But um it they quickly find out that the the bartender of this place is seen in these these photos from lodge members all the way back to like the early 1900s. So they're like, "Okay, well, Something's clearly wrong here because this guy's been around for like a hundred years or whatever. And it turns out the guy's an alien and he's like an alien explorer and he got trapped. They, his, his species developed this, uh, portal technology. And, but he went, when he went through the portal, it broke. So now he's been trying to fix this portal for like a hundred, several hundred years or something. Or a hundred mm. years, and uh, yeah, and they they employ Marshall's dad to help fix the the portal because um, Marshall's dad is like I don't know he's like an engineer or something. And this episode's decent; don't have a lot to add with it. We get a little bit of backstory about Dash X, like where he came from on this, because this alien race they all also have the like plus and minus symbols on their hands. So it seems like maybe that's where he comes from, but they don't explain. They, they don't explain anything beyond that. And that, and that he was going to take over the bar when this guy goes back to his planet after the portal gets fixed. I think this is an instructive episode in the sense that it is an example of what I was uh, talking about earlier in terms of episodes that kind of, pull at the at the strings of small town ephemera or, or or kind of satirizing it and being able to give it that specifically eerie indiana kind of spin on it because you know is this the sort of extremely <laughs> extremely important to the to the town's culture but extremely inexplicable secret society and i just want to do uh give incredible uh, props to uh, to just that scene where they just go all in and just throw corn puns everywhere. <laughs> I love the fact that when they first introduce them in the lodge, they all have their corn hats on, which, by the way, like brainwash them sort of, uh, which was very briefly like brushed off, like it was explained and then quickly brushed off. Um, but then they all have giant bowls of popcorn and they're just like shoveling popcorn <laughs> in their mouths the whole time. Yeah. So that's the loyal order of corn. Get a little bit of, get a little bit more information about dash X mm-hmm. in this one, but not a whole lot. Also like it's, it's funny how like they immediately take John Aston's character and like, He's involved in everything now. Like he's one of the leaders of the town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like how much time has passed here? Like like I feel like people would still be kind of in shock that he's like back, you know? <laughs> that cuz he's been presumably ca- been kept captive for like a really long time. It's just weird. It's th- this, that whole this, thing. this show is secretly really great deadpan comedy, I think. It is. And it, yeah, the, you don't the, think of it as the first association, but it is. That's one of the great things about this show is that like when you start to like deconstruct the episodes and like peel back the layers, like it, it sort of just opens up all of these like really kind of wild concepts and conversations that can be had about it. But the sad thing is that they just weren't around long enough to really dive into a lot of lot of uh a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. so moving on we have zombies in pjs this is the this the second to last episode that we're going to talk about at least um this one's directed by bob balaban also by the way the loyal order of corn was directed by brian spicer this one is another sort of critique on consumerism the kind of funny thing about this one is the world of stuff is, I guess they're, I don't know if they're having like money problems or something. And this guy shows up and he's called the Donald. Now, yeah, 
I have to think that that is a reference to Donald Trump. Yeah. By 1992, I cannot imagine that was an accident. Yeah. I think it has to be a reference to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the Donald shows up and he meets up with uh, John Aston's character, Radford, and, and they, they strike a deal to uh, turn around business and sell all their stuff. Dash X gets hired to, to help sell this, this stuff in the world of stuff. And through, I guess, sort of like subliminal messaging, it turns everyone in the town into these, like, uh, the, these shopping zombies who at nighttime, when they go to sleep, they sleepwalk into the store and buy everything. And not mm-hmm. only that, but they buy it on credit and mm-hmm. they have to sign these, these like credit contracts, which as it turns out, uh, and I think most people would probably be able to easily figure this out. They're signing their souls over yes. to, it's in the, to the devil. It's in the it's in the fine print. It's in the fine print so fine that it's disguised. I believe is the period at the end yeah. of the sentence. Yeah, they have to. Yeah, Mar- Marshall and Simon that, and uh, I guess it was Dash X was also working mm-hmm. with them at that point. They have to um, <laughs> look at it under a microscope and they find some excellent that- prop comedy w- involving fine print. Yeah, yeah. I really liked or- this episode. I thought that this was a really fun episode. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, it's not exactly subtle, but neither is no. what it's talking about. It's, so it's, yeah, it's not. Uh, it, there's there's even one at one part when I think Marshall confronts uh, John Aston's character about it, and he goes, "There's nothing going on here but a little harmless capitalism." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, of course, the, like that one line just kind of says yeah. everything about it. And and at one you, point, you almost feel like they're pausing right after it. Yeah, and at one point, so after they clean, completely clear out the world of stuff, they the this the Donald gets him to load onto a bus to go to the mall, mm. and you see cleverly it changes the the sign on the bus changes from mall to hell. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very subtle, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, as far as subtlety goes, this is probably one of the least subtle episodes in the show, but I thought it was also kind of fun how blatant it was. Yeah, yeah. This is also, it, a, a bunch of these episodes in the, in the latter half, I, I just don't remember seeing as a kid, so this was another one that like I had no recollection of. Mm. But it's, uh, it's good. It's, it's yeah, really it's good. it's fun. It's a fun time. Finally. The last episode, oh, yeah. <laughs> we have Reality Takes a Holiday. This one is directed by Ken Quapis. This is maybe my favorite episode. Oh, yeah. In the whole show. Probably mine, too. Um, just because I'm a sucker for meta stuff, and this it gets meta. And I kind of appreciated it because back in 91... You didn't have a lot of stories that got like super meta like this, you know. What it's almost like a uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare situation here, but or what's uh no anyway. So what yeah, you have I here mean, is um the 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 morning starts like like any other for Marshall. They're at breakfast. They're eating. They're trying to get Marshall to go see a horror movie. And I guess he's like feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm a big kid. I'm a teenager. I don't need to be hanging out with my parents anymore. You know, I'm going to do grown up kids stuff. And so he says, no, he doesn't want to go to the movies. They leave. And then he checks the mail and he finds that it's a script for that episode of Erie, Indiana. And as he pages through it, he finds that, Everything that they said in their conversation at breakfast was written down on the script. When he goes back into the house, his family and Simon are sitting there at the, at the breakfast table again. And then he realizes as he turns around that they're actually on a soundstage. They're on a set and Joe, Joe Dante's in it and he's directing them. And they all start calling him Omri because Marshall's played by Omri Katz. So they all start using their real names and Marshall realizes that he's like stuck in this kind of alternate 
universe, which is our real world, and has to figure out how to get back. And I, I, I just love that concept. I thought it was really fun. It's a really good episode. It, there's lots, of, yeah. There's lots of fun stuff in here. Just the uh, he, he has to go, you know, the, uh, write himself out of the predicament that he's finding himself in. Yeah. So yeah, of course, Dash X is here. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about him, yes, <laughs> in this is that he's his character. He's not the actor. <laughs> playing dash x he no. is dash x dash x <laughs> and so he knows that marshall is in this predicament but he's like in this world too and what he does is he r- d- convinces what's his name jose um Ho- jose schaefer they combine they combine the two the r- names d- d- yeah the two creators of the show so yeah. he he convinces jose schaefer to write Omri Katz or Marshall out of the show by having him get murdered and so Marshall has to figure out a way to to fix this because he thinks that he's going to get murdered in in real life and uh, it was just yeah it was a it was a fun episode it was really yeah I think it, I I kind of understand that that this was like the one that they ended on mm-hmm. rather than that other that other episode the broken record Mm-hmm. Which because looks like, thi- yeah, <laughs> this feels like a more fitting end of the show, even if even if it was a season, just a season ender. Yeah, I, yeah, I was I was trying to figure out. This is the one that confused me because I assumed for a show that seems to want to, as I said, reinvent itself in its last three or four episodes. This one felt like the kind of thing you do if you're not sure if you're coming back. Yeah, it, it, so I it, was not sure if they knew that this was it or not. I don't know. I, it it almost seems like they had an idea that this was going to be it because it it does. It just feels like the end of a series. It really does. The way because mm-hmm. at the end he says like I'm Marshall Teller and and the the way that he kind of ends it off with the narration the same way that the show began in the first episode. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it's very it does, bookend feel. Yeah, it does feel like it is kind of an end point, which is odd because this was not the last episode that was shot. It's not and it's not the last episode that was aired. The broken record was the one that, that they ended up airing on um, Disney after Disney started running the show. So. I'm not sure what happened there, but yeah. Either way, it's a. I think it's a fitting conclusion to the show, and I think that it's it's a good way to cap off the series. I definitely. I think it's unfortunate. I think it's still unfortunate because I think that the show could have gone on and been successful for you know more seasons. Mm-hmm. I think it was just in a weird spot. Yeah, like. Running at seven, what was it seven p.m. on yeah, Sunday? It was like a Sunday night thing. It was like, a, it was like Sunday night at seven. Yeah, or something. time starts earlier on Sundays. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's it was, a weird, it was awkward. Yeah, because it it, it was it, it kind of straddled the line between like a kid show and a tween show, and I I would I, have to imagine that the marketing from the network on this was terrible because. I can imagine them not having any idea who who the show is supposed to be for. Yeah, I mean they're they're making like Dan Quayle jokes, and <laughs> mm-hmm. they they're the, the one episode the the werewolf episode they made a, a Twin Peaks reference mm. where he goes, "I'm not the I'm not the log lady," mm-hmm. and so there's like so there's like stuff like that, but then there's like other kind of goofy stuff that's like very kid centric. So yeah, I, I think that it was just a just a communication thing because mm-hmm. i mean critically the show was very well received yeah so it, it had to be just a communication thing just a marketing thing mm-hmm. which is unfortunate uh but but other other channels like when when it moved over to fox and played on fox kids on saturday like early afternoon 
that's when it really exploded. And that's what ended up causing that Fox to create a new series, which is called Erie, Indiana, the other dimension, which mm. neither of us, we mentioned it last month. Neither of us never even heard of this. Like, no, I, you, I had, you brought this to my attention one day and I had no idea that this was a show that, that existed. So interestingly, so this aired in, in 1998, it began in 1998. It's a completely different cast, it's like a whole different thing. That's why they call it the other dimension. But the interesting thing, and I didn't know this before watching the, the pilot episode was that it's like, uh, they try to connect the two. Like, yeah, my, uh, Marshall and Simon end up contacting these two new characters, Mitchell and Stanley. <laughs> And, like, tell them that this, like, rift opened up in their version of Eerie, and the weirdness is, like, spilling through. And so these two new kids are just starting to experience, like, the weird stuff happening in their version of Eerie. Yeah, it's... I... I went directly, as I was telling you offline, I went directly from watching the last episode of Erie, Indiana, which is very much about the show breaking out and examining itself as a show. And I went right from watching that to watching the first episode of The Other Dimension, which is about the new show breaking out and examining the other show. And yeah. I I had a... It, I, I don't... I wasn't ready. <laughs> it was a very difficult time for me. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, I don't think that the I don't think that Simon and Marshall were actually in this. I think that they used some kind of uh, footage from a, a, an episode of the other show mm. because when you like they do, it doesn't quite st- sound like them, and it d- like their voices didn't match up with their mouths. Mm. So I think that. I don't think that they were actually in it. I think that they used footage from the other series, but I think it was kind of a cool way to connect the two. I think, and honestly, I didn't hate the first episode. I thought that it was going to be really bad. No, because like the, the, the cover looks awful with like the, the UFO thing <laughs> just looks so cheesy. And I, and I was like thinking about, the other Fox kids stuff that was coming out around that time, like the goosebump show and some of those other ones where like it just, everything felt super cheap and like wasn't, didn't have the same level of complexity or, or, or deepness that the original series had. So yeah, I was kind of surprised that, I mean, it doesn't feel it's definitely not on the same level as no. the original one. <laughs> I can tell that from the first episode. Now, maybe, maybe they do deal with some heavier topics and concepts, but something tells me they don't. I think mm-hmm. that they probably took the, the weird, goofy aspects of the original show and brought that over and then probably left back, left behind anything that was like, you know, getting into serious territory or subtext. Did you, did you watch more of this? No, I didn't. I didn't. Mm. Only watched the first one. Mm. Did you see any of the other ones? No, I did. The whole series is on YouTube, I believe. Yeah, it's 15 episodes. It's almost as long as the first one was. Yeah, I don't think that I will continue watching it. Just, I just don't feel like I need to. I, I doubt that there's any other... Like, I see what they're doing. They're They're at least the first episode of this is basically a, it's sort of like a carbon co- copy of it's like a facsimile of the original series. So it it's like, feels, all, it feels it, like a remake, which is what it is yeah, basically. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't, they try to make it like sort of a sequel or continuation, but it's a remake. Like you have the same type of stuff. Like, Elvis that lives in the town and Bigfoot and like in the original one, you had those basketball players that were all like in sync all the time. And here you have like cheerleaders. I I did think it was interesting that scene when they all sat down and and got like the root beer floats or whatever. And then they put on the latex gloves to drink them. So 
it does seem like there's some kind of weird stuff in this, but I also don't think you have the same pedigree of people behind the camera on this one. Now I didn't look to see who I, I mean, I'm, I might've just lied, but I, I didn't see, cause I haven't seen who directs these. Mm. Um, so maybe, yeah, I'm not seeing any like, you know, Joe Dante, Bob Balaban's on here. And I could just tell already that the family is, is not going to be nearly as relatable. And I don't think that I would connect on the same level as the original, the character, the characters just seem far less endearing. Like the parents seem, the parents seem more like, you know, stereotypical kid show, nineties kid show parents. Yeah. Where you don't really have any kind of respect for them or anything. And they're, and they're just losers, just loser parents. Yeah. They feel like non entities. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the original show, the parents were like actual fleshed out characters that you could relate to and were likable. The same with the sister, like the, the sister in the, uh, the original series played by Julie, Julie Condra. Side, interesting side note, she's married to Mark DeCascos. Hmm. Um, hmm. That, that character, like, she was a good character in that show, whereas the sister in the new series, Other Dimension, I think that, again, this is just basing it off of one episode, so I, I can't say for sure, but she seems like an awful character. But who knows, maybe she has some kind of deep arc that occurs that occurs throughout the first season maybe i don't i don't know i mean it doesn't look like from this first episode that many people go through an arc <laughs> no probably not since <laughs> i mean in the first episode of the original eerie indiana the, the, there was a feeling that like these characters were going to exist on their own uh where you do not get that same feeling here. Yeah. And I, and I think that certainly there was some growth with the characters in the, in the original. I think that more, more so Simon and Marshall. I, I don't, I just don't think that they were had enough time to fully flesh out the, like the parents and the sister and stuff. I think they would have, like, I think that I feel like that they had enough of a presence in the show that, that they would, if they were allowed to continue, if they picked it up for another season, that, that they would have continued to develop those characters. I, it's just Choose. a shame. I, I really would have, I would really like to see like where they would go with the, with the show. Two things. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and, and two things, because I just had two thoughts kind of happen simultaneously. The first one is you mentioned Mark DeCasco's and, I then had to spend the next several moments trying to figure out what exactly the association was there. And I now I, now I remember he was in only the strong. Oh, heck yeah, he was for the show. <laughs> I don't know why it took me a minute. Like you, you said, it was like, yeah, yeah, that's a name. And then it's like, Oh, <laughs> that's someone who we should know about on this show. The, the second thought I have unrelated but related to this episode is I kind of liked the concept of this episode. We didn't really talk about the plot of it, but it's this idea that there's, it's this, it's basically a commentary on the joke about there being too many channels on television that would have been prevalent yeah, by this yeah. point <laughs> with cable and, and satellite. Uh, and I kind of like that as a concept just because it's this strange kind of uh, buffer zone of like, media like ubiquitous like overwhelming volume of media but before the internet kind of made it all ubiquitous overwhelming media just the way that it felt like the world worked yeah <laughs> like well, i it, just it, like that like there's like this great period of ephemera of like maybe 90s era trying to grapple with it that of too many tv channels that i think yeah. is interesting <laughs> 2000 channels I, you gotta love TV shows that criticize people for watching too much TV, you know, yes. <laughs> like, cause that's what, that's what this does. Like everybody in, everybody in Erie 
gets these like satellite dishes that that pick up all these crazy channels and they all become like zombies watching they they like become addicted to the to the TV and they can't stop watching it if they should become zombies for anything it should be the great deals that you have at the world of stuff exactly <laughs> exactly buy yourself a elvis lamp and a, dis- a disguise kit that like completely changes your voice and <laughs> everything about you your height everything oh God, what a perfect ending to that episode it was <laughs> yeah yeah we didn't mention that the big the big reveal with that the episode with uh the donald was that marshall disguised himself and it was like a mission impossible style yeah. disguise where it was like he was literally a different person and he tricked the 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 demon into uh <laughs> literally just made him simul like literally just made him spontaneously descend back into hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he tried he was like trying to get cuz he was pretending to be an IRS agent and mm-hmm. he was coming to perform an audit and it, he scared the demon back down into hell. Mhm. Fascinating, by which I mean not very good CG effect. Oh man, yeah, how he was like sinking down into the floor. It was version one digging through the floor tiles. It was very bad and very bad, but incredible at the same time. Anything else you want to add about like the series as a whole? I think it's telling that we ended our discussion of the one episode of the spinoff by talking about an episode of the original series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it wasn't, I thought it was going to be a dumpster fire. I, I thought it was going to yeah, be no, so it was fine. bad. And it, the, the first episode, it's fine. Like, again, I don't think I'll be continuing to watch it, but it wasn't that bad. No. Maybe it gets bad. Maybe, maybe maybe it goes the other way and gets, gets really <laughs> bad. I don't know. It could. But I like I probably to, won't find out. <laughs> I, I like to, to leave the franchise here on a high note, mm-hmm. you know, th- so I can think back fondly. This also seems like something that is due for a reboot. Like I I don't understand why like Netflix hasn't looked into rebooting this or Hulu. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of surprised that they haven't. And maybe, maybe they have. Maybe you know the idea has been pitched around, but I feel like this would be a good one to reboot if they did it right. Because I, I feel like shows mm. shows of this tone, I think, are able to flourish a lot more now than they were back then. Yeah. If you look at the the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. I think that that's a really good example because that's a show that seems like it would be for a younger audience, but it, it contains a lot of really heavy kind of more adult content. And I think, so I think that like there is a space for it now. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would love it if they, as long as again, like if they brought back Joe Dante to be like a, a creative consultant on it, that would be, that'd be really cool. Because I feel like I feel like that this this series works really well within Dante's mind, like his his creative mind. A lot of these episodes, even if they weren't written or directed by him, kind of feel like they have his stamp on them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it'd be really cool if they like were able to get him back involved. But yeah, who knows? Wishful thinking, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean it. What we still have here is still really good and worth seeing, I think. Like, not all the episodes are tremendous, but all of them are well done and entertaining and always interesting. So not I'm a very single, happy. Yeah. yeah. Not a single bad episode, I will yeah, say. I'm that. very happy that I uh, finally got a chance to watch. And again, the whole series is on YouTube, except for the one that one episode, which is available on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. So you can you can check out the whole series for free, uh, and it, same with the other dimension. If you want to give that a look, that's that's on YouTube as well. So they have mm-hmm. it. That is Erie, Indiana. That's the retrospective. Uh, let us know if you want us to do more of these. There's there's other shows that I might want to dive into. I was mm-hmm. thinking about this this show, Maniac Mansion, 
Mm. Um, that was on USA and like, I don't, I barely remember that show, but I think it's interesting because it was based on a video game and it was another kind of weird show that I was thinking about maybe looking into. So maybe that's I, one. I, I one like doing, could... I like talking about TV. Yeah. So do I, I think it's, it's like a, it's a nice little like retreat from the movies, but next month I'm sure that we'll be getting back into the movies because it's going to be Halloween. So Halloween. Yeah. So I'm sure that we'll be doing something really fun for that. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. I've been watching some nineties horror movies recently, and I'm just really excited to jump back in. I don't, I don't, we don't know what our topic's going to yeah, be yet. I mean, but if you see anything that you think works, let me know. I mean, I'm sure I we'll, the, I'm sure yeah. we'll devise something, but yes. uh, that's going to do it for this month. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your nineties topics to 90s at filmpulse.net you can send us a dm on twitter facebook at 90s pod if you would consider giving us a review on itunes that'd be great until next month for ken bakley my name is adam patterson and this has been saved by the 90s bye everyone <laughs>